I'm Ruth Vitale, and I'm the CEO of Create a Future. And I'm Mitch Glazier, and I'm the CEO of the Recording Industry Association of America. Welcome to Offscript, a new series that invites guests in music and film to discuss their careers and the intersection of entertainment and advocacy. And we are really excited this time to have with us the Congresswoman from New York's 9th Congressional District in Brooklyn, live from Brooklyn, Congresswoman Yvette Clark. Welcome. It's great to be with you both. Thank you for having me. Also joining us is famed music producer and writer, our good friend, DJ Cheapshot. Cheapshot. What's up? First of all, Congresswoman, we really can't thank you enough for taking time to join us. We know it's incredibly busy right now. Uh, and first of all, congratulations on your reelection. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm honored to represent once again. Yeah, and you you have a special place uh, in American culture because you represent the home of hip hop. You represent Brooklyn, New York, which is just incredible. And so I just wanted to sort of start off by asking you, what does being from New York and especially from Brooklyn mean to you? Why does that why is that musically special? Well, I, let me say that, you know, what makes uh, Brooklyn so musically special, I think is it's been a gateway for immigration for many generations. And I think, you know, people bought with them, their music, their culture, and you get the authentic expressions of it. I, I'm a product of, of immigrants. My parents came from the beautiful island nation of Jamaica, but I was born here in Brooklyn. So I had the merging of two worlds. So Cheap Shot, over to you. You and I first met, I don't know, was it, it feels like a hundred years ago, but it was last October when I was pulling together a group of creatives to come to DC with Crazy Rich Asians so that Mitch and I could work with you guys on a Creative Rights Caucus event. Why don't you tell everyone about the connection, your connection to that film as a way of introducing yourself? So yeah, that- uh, I started chasing sort of the dream of uh, producing music for film and television in 2009. And, uh, you know, with dreams and hopes of sort of being the sole music producer on a major film. And uh, when I least expected, I guess, I was approached by Warner Brothers to start uh, creating uh, some music for a film they called Crazy Rich Asians. I had no context. I knew nothing about it, but I jumped right in because that's what you do in this industry. And um, over time, it became this sort of monumental film that I feel very lucky and privileged to be a part of. And uh, I think, and that's why I know you two, which is the most important part of all this. Of course. Of course. Of course, that's the most important part. What's interesting about that movie is until I met you, your work is so seamless that you don't actually even, you know, you don't even know that you've like sort of transposed it to another language. I mean, it's really, it's kind of extraordinary. But one other thing, and then we'll get on to more, uh, more related to both you and Representative Clark. I've asked you this a thousand times and I'm not gonna blab, but how did you come to be named Cheap Shot? So <laughs> I was like the, the king of the nerds in high school. I had a really bad DJ name. I already, like when I had it, I knew it was bad, but my real name's Fulton, which, uh, so it's my name starts with a C. And uh, so I felt I needed to get the C in there. And in a move of desperation, I decided to change my name to DJ Fantasy, like fantasy. But then, 
it looks like the soda with Death C, and it was just awful. And I was like, how do I get out of this? And then being king of the nerds in high school, one of the smallest nerds in my group got into a big fight, and all the guys' friends jumped in, and then all my nerdy friends jumped in, and uh, they pushed the main culprit towards me. And out of just like sort of this like gut reaction, like the manly man I am, I punched the guy in the back of the head and then like ran away. And some guy goes, some guy said to me, nice cheap shot. And rather than thinking about anybody's well-being, I said, that's a really good DJ name. And uh, that's what I'm going to commit to. And that it had a, is... it had a C with it. And it started with a C. So I was like, there's the C. I get it all. I get it all. I, how, did, how did I not know that? that yeah, is... I don't... <laughs> don't you think we need to come up with an MC name for Congresswoman Clark? I mean, maybe. Maybe she has one. Is it MCYC? I don't. I, don't. I uh, thought about MCEVD, but I don't know. Does that work? I, I yeah. The representative. Like, yeah, I think that that's pretty dope. To, to make it a little bit more Caribbean, we'll call it uh, D Congress Lady. Yeah. Yeah. D, D right. Congress Lady. I like that. There is a man in the Bronx who is credited with actually starting hip hop. Uh, and his name is DJ Cool Herb. Yeah. He too is Jamaican uh, and was raised in the United States of America. You know, there's a, there's a conference every year that the Congressional Black Caucus throws, uh, and it's an annual legislative conference, but there is a uh, very uh, famous party that is now a part of that. that I'm sorry, where was my invite? Might involve a little bit of you know, Caribbean music and some soca. Uh, Congresswoman Clark, do you mind telling us sort of the, the history behind yours and Representative Plaskett sort of putting together of this, uh, this Caribbean piece of the CBC? You know, when we talk about the Black experience in America, we're, we're talking about a, a very diverse experience. And there are many members, uh, uh, Congresswoman Stacey Plaskett uh, and I, happened to uh, also co-chair a Caribbean caucus along with Congresswoman Maxine Waters. And we, there, we found that there are many members of Congress who are actually of Caribbean descent. And we know that in the communities we represent, we represent the entire African diaspora. So we thought it was important uh, that we uh, express that diversity through a cultural event, an event that you know, distinguished uh, th that part of sort of the annual legislative conference so that we are inclusive of everyone's experiences. And what brings us all together are the policies of the United States of America that impact the lives of all of these people that, that come to this conference. So we thought we would do a uh, Caribbean day party and it has just taken off. <laughs> Last year, of course, our annual legislative conference actually had to take place virtually. It actually goes to the next question that we have, which is, uh, we're curious to ask both of you during this incredibly challenging year, how is that, you know, reflect, reflect on your work. You know, for you, Congresswoman, our country's gone through incredible challenges from the pandemic to the rightful uprising for, of racial and for racial justice, economic upheaval, 
you know, and for you, Cheap Shot, in addition to that upheaval, your work probably ground to a halt. It may just start to be going again. And you were forced, I would assume, to improvise just as all of us were. So maybe starting with the Congresswoman, can you reflect back on this year and- Yeah, it's, 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 it's like one long day. <laughs> you know, every day you're waking up with the, with the concerns of how to navigate people through this pandemic. You know, I take it a day at a time and I go out boldly to make a difference in the lives of these folks, whether it's just to tell someone to wear a mask <laughs> or it's, you know, being down in Washington and pounding the table to get something done for our people. Well, we thank you because I think each one of us knows how difficult it's been. Our industries, both film and television and music, have been devastated. And yes. so a lot of people out of work. And it's, it's terrifying, actually, you know, because I, I don't know. I don't know, what, I don't know what the new normal looks like. That, I mean, that's what, you know, what is it? Do we ever get I back think to it, I think it has to be unity because we're all in this same thing together, right? And we've got us a, a unique opportunity because guess what? We do have to rebuild. It was the highest highs and the lowest lows I've ever felt. And oftentimes those two feelings could happen in the same day, you know, yeah. and, and it's just been this insane roller coaster. I remember walking into this year with a lot of positivity and saying, I'm going to take a lot of risks that I've never taken. This year, I'm just going to throw caution to the wind and do the things that I'm passionate about and keep chasing and building rather than worrying about the, the dumb stuff. And, uh, and then that quickly took a crazy turn in, in uh, March, but I still did all those things. I, I, still, I, I, I didn't want to furlough anybody. I wanted to kind of march through this thing with confidence and know that it's going to turn around and uh, so far, so good. But I hope, uh, like you said, uh, Congresswoman, I hope that we all can unite and, and you know, kind of get this uh, craziness under control so that we can all come out together, unified in a better place than we were before we began. So, yeah. And music has a, I think music has played a key role in and does play a key role in helping to unite people, especially during a time of crisis where you know, you need a common place to go where everybody can get together and uh, sort of figure out how to celebrate a little bit uh, and, you know, enjoy even while, you know, we're suffering in other areas and we have to work incredibly hard to, to keep the country together, uh, as Congresswoman Clark said. So, uh, cheap shot. Let me get this right. In college, you were in a group, right? Styles of Beyond yeah. with, Allo, with Aloe Black and some other folks. And that kind of started your hip hop career. Give us a little, um, give us a little cheap shot musical history and then kind of tell us the trajectory of, uh, of your career. All right, well, so, uh, so Styles of Beyond was a group I actually started in high school shortly after I punched that kid in the head. Um, <laughs> then, then I go to college and I, you know, College to me was a backup plan. I want, you know, my parents were very like, you know, they didn't love hip hop, but they loved my passion for music. And they said, just go to college and get a degree. So I went in with very low expectations out of the educational side of things, but I immersed myself in music. And, and part of that was in the dorms, there was a flyer for the radio station at UC Irvine. And so I went to that. I started a hip hop radio show 
And when I was 18 years old, there was a 16 year old kid who was up at my show every week, just wanting to freestyle. And, and uh, he was amazing. And his name was Aloe Black. And then, you know, as, as life happens, you know, my group, we got signed to uh, Warner Brothers in 2005. Yeah, and just to bring it all the way around, Aloe Black, Aloe Black then got very involved with the Music Artists Coalition, which got very involved in policy around racial justice. And Aloe has been one of the artists who has really led lobbying both Congress, State of California, State of New York. Uh, he's been, he, he's, the, he's, he's this sort of international celebrity who's sitting on hour and a half policy calls about which California representative he needs to call to try to make sure that he can get the new civil rights bill passed in California. Really, really an amazing guy. And these connections between sort of the platform of music and the platform of artists and DJs and policy is really fascinating. The day, the day he called me, he was like, hey man, I, I, I'm calling you after an hour long conversation I had with Russell Simmons about the coalition he was forming at that, that day. You know, I don't know where all that went, but you could tell he was just in it, you know, and, and I'm so proud of what he's accomplished. And I know he'll wanna, he'll wanna connect with you, Congresswoman Clark, because he has just absolutely been a, a, a leader. So as the new Congress kicks in and uh, reform bills start getting processed again, I know he'll wanna be right there offering whatever kind of megaphone he can. <laughs> that would be great. I'm a fan, so I'm excited. Chief Shot, I, um, Mitch, Mitch and I have talked about this often when we do our Creative Rights Caucus events, and I always say that you can have music on its own, but you cannot have film or television without music. It's just, it's impossible. People take that so, you know, so, for granted, I don't think even people hear score or the songs, as I said to you on Crazy Rich Asian, I didn't realize they were in another language. Um, what are some of the challenges producing music for, for film and television? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is, you know, transitioning from an artist who made music for themselves and, you know, for the masses, uh, it changes, you know, the transition then becomes the music's a tool and how do I make the director happy? How do I accomplish, you know, uh, making the song right for someone else's vision? Um, so, you know, I am looked at as the expert in certain scenario, you know, they hire us to be the expert of music, but music's so subjective, it's sometimes hard to understand the nuances of what that person wants. And sometimes what you, what you learn is, you know, you're, the music, sadly, is a cog this big in a, in a machine this big. Except for, I will say this, having made movies for 30 years, if yeah. the music's wrong, the entire thing tanks. Yeah, Literally yeah. tanks, okay? The, the, my closest friends on, on film sets, and I've done over 100 films, have generally been editors, the film editor, and the music people. Because those are the people that once the director has done everything and the actors have done their job and the production designer and customer, it's the editor and the composer and the, and the, and the, and the music person that have to sort of pick it all up, weave it together and create a tapestry upon which it can sit. That's yeah. difficult. It's hard and usually music's the last thought. It's not even like thought about for the last phase. And usually it's like, 
okay, go do your little music thing in 30 seconds. Like we need it by the end of the day. Oops, forgot to tell you, you have two hours to write a song that fits perfectly for the scene. Can you tell us, uh, Congresswoman Clark, you know, what does, how, how has music sort of influenced your life? You're, you're one of the few policymakers, not only do you represent a music capital, but you know, you're chair of the, of the uh, Multicultural Media Caucus. You're one of the folks who really gets it, which is that music is a huge part of culture. So what, is, what does it mean to you to sort of grow up in the musical traditions you've grown up in and sort of, you know, your role in protecting that going forward? Yeah, well, you know, I, I started a multimedia uh multicultural media caucus on on Capitol Hill alongside my colleague uh, Judy Chu and uh, Car and Congresswoman uh, Congressman uh, Tony Cardenas and we we did that because of, you know we recognized that there is added value uh, that we have not maximized on uh, that there are opportunities that we have not widen the aperture enough to, to really engage. And, and we thought that it was important because you know, th there's an evolutionary process here for, for, for many uh, you know, decades, many years in, in, in the industry. Uh, you know, there was appropriation of, of style, of music, of, of, inform of, of, of talent, period, right? right. And you know, we wanted to give an opportunity for those who are entrepreneurial to really, uh, you know, be be at the table, telling us how we could shape policies that widen that aperture. Yeah. So, speaking of appropriating, we always try to communicate that it's difficult work, painstaking, as we've talked about, and not always profitable, and we need policymakers like our dear Representative Clark, to protect us with policies that curb piracy and ensure we're properly compensated because it isn't a hobby. In a, in a society like ours, um, you know, what we attribute value to speaks more to who we are than who that the person is right. that you're you know, uh, minimizing, that you're taking advantage of. And I think we need to flip that um, and, because we know it's, it's not right at the end of the day. You know, there's the, people just, you, you, there's just something, you know, a little nagging that says, you know, this isn't quite right. And when people become accustomed to that nagging, it, it, it's almost psychotic. Right. You know, <laughs> so I, I think that yeah. as policymakers, we have an obligation to do what is right, to do what is just. And when you uh, develop policies that turn the blind eye to injustice, you're not doing your job. Right. And when you pirate something, that's an injustice. I'm always the one that says, you can buy a very fancy coffee at Starbucks, you have a cell phone, you know, why is it that spending a few dollars on music or film and television, why is that so difficult? And then you think it's not just a product of our time or an issue of our time. You go back hundreds of years and, and artists always had to have patrons because it was like 
art didn't have the, wasn't assigned sort of a innate value for humanity, which is like, it's what defines us. Sadly, I just think, you know, when Napster happened, I remember watching my music industry yeah. at the time just completely get shut down. You know, like if, if there, you, you, you could be a, a mediocre artist or, or, you know, or new artist and sell 2 million copies in a week. And that was sort of like a normal thing back then. And now, you know, you're lucky if you sell a couple thousand. But I feel like when the general public is exposed to more opportunity to take something, they feel less guilty about it. It almost became part of life to take music that wasn't theirs or movies that were free because it's so easy. It doesn't help when you have, um, you know, policymakers that demonstrate that they don't have a, a respect for the arts and for artists. You know, it, it, we can start fundamentally there. Places, you know, people who want to defund uh, PBS, and you know, it, it's 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 that mentality that again uh, minimizes the value of 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 what our artists do for our society. Uh, you know, cheap shot. You you're the soundtrack of our lives. You know, and and you know for they're not to have the depth of understanding of that and uh, you know, look to the path of least resistance in terms of helping to regulate and, and bring value back uh, to, to, to what should have always been valued. Then you know, it, it, it makes it such that the public feels like, well, you know, that's the example they set. Well, that must be the rule, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So I think that that's part of what we, you know, we have an obligation to do is to, you know, uh, be emphatic in our enthusiasm around the value of, of arts and culture in, in and our I lives. And I think you're right that Congress has to lead, right? They have to show leadership in that regard, just, just like on, on many other things. You know, we always point out and uh, I know you sit on the Energy and Commerce Committee, so you do a lot of it, uh, internet policy. But we always mm -hmm. point out, you know, if you take the year 2000, right, and you just measure from 2000 to 2020, the media industry in revenue is half the size now in revenue than it was in 2000. The tech platforms are 3,000 times plus what they were in the year 2000. So in 20 years, we're negative 50 and they're plus 3000. Now, God, listen, I want them to do well. We're, everybody's a partner. It's all necessary, but there's something okay. wrong. There's okay. something wrong in your priority when the platform that just distributes the creativity is like the richest companies <laughs> on the planet, but the people who are creative, who drive them, who they're nothing without are, are literally not being able to work. Yeah, but you're forgetting one Absolutely. small piece when you describe these big tech companies who are great. And yes, we want them to flourish because they are great platforms, but they're also publishers and they're aiding and abetting in piracy. And that goes mm. to the lack of accountability. Okay, shown by these platforms saying, not All our right. problem. Well, just a big thank you to you and many others who have started to sort of pull these tech CEOs in and started asking them some tough questions and, and starting to dive into you know, what a fair partnership means and what we want for our country and what we want for our people going forward. So 
anyway, just just a gratuitous well, thank I, you I for think, asking. Yeah, I, I, I think that, um, you know, now that everyone has had to go virtual, there'll be a lot more scrutiny. Yeah. Well, I just need to get back to hip hop for one second, because okay. let me, let me, Congresswoman Clark, let me tell you something about, about Cheap Shot and sort of the relationship to Brooklyn. So Cheap Shot, in his spare time, um, literally has made it a project of his life and spends his own resources preserving the legacy of the pioneers of hip hop. He you know, knows more than most people I've ever met um, about sort of who they are and does his podcast, started a company called Stupid Fly, is working with us on RAAA honors to, to honor them. But also um, one of the things that is sort of really cool is that you get that today's industry, right, rests on the shoulders of these pioneers who have not really been honored. It's just starting now. It was this amazing exploration for me because anytime in my life where I feel like I'm going to stop or I wanted to quit DJing or I didn't want to, you know, continue releasing albums because I didn't do record deals properly with the, the artists on my label in 19, whatever. Um, but I, I found that every time I would be in a troubled situation, I would look to my idols and I would, you know, sort of be inspired by them. And then when I, I, you know, when I felt like I was in a good place with my music for film and television business, I kind of reflected on that and, and pulled inspiration and I wanted to start creating music with them. And then I realized in that journey how much they needed the money. And that kind of made me sad. It was more of this, like I wanted to share in something with them. But what I found was I was actually really helping them. And, and that made me sad because I thought I was, you know, striving to become them. And so then ever since that shift, it was like, how can I give back to these guys that have inspired me to become who I am and are receiving sort of none of the, the flowers they should have been given and none of the financial, you know, the it just seems like it's the biggest genre in the world. It, it's a, a multi-billion dollar industry and these guys built it and, they're, and they don't get the, 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 the props and the money they deserve. And so that's sort of been my, my it's going to be the marathon of my life. That's why we, we started the Multicultural Media Caucus in Washington too, because it gives us that space to look at, uh, first of all, making sure that no one else uh, has to face uh, the type of exploitation that those guys face by creating just policies, right? And challenging, quite frankly, current organizations that don't look at the equity that goes with it, goes into you know the contacts that they draw up, and and also financial literacy. There's a whole ecosystem that comes with uh, meeting success when you least expect it, when, when your talent is raw and someone knows how to harness that, that talent, uh, but you know, has done that at your expense, right? right. So we're, we're, we're trying to crack the code on that too, uh, yeah. DJ Cheap Shot. And I, I wanna thank you for reflecting in that way because oftentimes people just don't. I see a potential collaboration between our two guests, Mitch. Oh, it's happening. It's happening. This is this is what happens. <laughs> we make magic. Well, I'll tell you what, you guys, you guys will both be at uh, the RAAA honors uh, honoring pioneers of hip hop next September. If we can be at the Caribbean party 
at uh-huh. the CBC at around the same time. I think we've got a little, I think we've got a calendar, you know, like a copacetic calendar incident coming up. Absolutely. Well, you know that everyone is welcome. You will enjoy it. But I'm going to also extend the invitation for you to come and witness and be a part of, because you can't just witness it. You got to be a part of it. Our West Indian American Day Carnival. Oh, listen, I went to one Jamaican wedding and um, (laughs) all I have to, all I have to say is I don't remember it very well, but I know, I know I had a great time. All right. Enough of that. You guys guys have been great. We both want to thank you so much. Um, Mitch and I never know what we're going to, you know, what it's going to look like. And you guys are extraordinary. The work you do, you know, the support that you give, it's, it's immeasurable. So thank you for being on the show with us. Thank you guys. I'm so glad that we were able to bring you guys together and thank you for joining us. And for those listening and watching, thank you as well. And we'll see you next time. We will see you next time. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.